What do you think about women who maybe are dating around and they can't find anybody they like? There's a fine line between self-sabotage and having high standards. Mm, right? I love that. One is like, okay, I'm going to find something wrong with every person that I meet. Or it's, you know, and sometimes we actually say like, hey, this is a deal breaker for me. I'm just standing up for what I want. But if you see, okay, I've, I've gone out with a multitude of humans mm -hmm. and I just keep finding everything, anything wrong with them, then it's time to turn inward and see like, hey, is there some parts of me that believe love is not safe? Is there parts mm -hmm. of me that believe men will hurt me? Am I maybe sabotaging potential partners because of that? Is there a situation when you should lower your standards? Well, hello everyone, and welcome back to Bougie Best Friend Podcast. I'm your host, Coco, aka Cornelia Slunsky, and I have an episode today that is going to help you with your mental health and your relationships. I interviewed Jenny Minen, who is a psychologist and mental health coach, and this episode is focused on relationships, healing, attachment styles, getting over situations that don't really serve you. And I love bringing on people on the show who can help your mental health, honestly, because that is the most important thing we need to take care of today. I have a review that I would like to read if you don't mind, because I just love getting your reviews and uh, didn't make me so happy. This comes from, okay, this username is XUXUDrawers. <laughs> Did I read this right? XUXUDrawers. Okay, that's the username. The title is so genuine. I love how straightforward and genuine she is. Her point of view is something all women need to hear. Thank you. I love reading your reviews and they mean the absolute world. I invite you to send this episode to anybody who would benefit from it. You know, your friend who's going through a shitty situation right now, send this episode to her. Maybe it's going to help her. Okay. Without further ado, let's now hear from Jenny. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Jenny, welcome to Bougie Best Friend Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Coco. I'm really excited for today. Today, we're going to talk about self-love, about getting over a breakup, about owning your power back, and all these things that a lot of women go through on a daily basis when you know they're going through these changes in their lives. So I'm really excited to have you here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I'm super excited to be part of this. I love your podcast. I Thank love you. your Instagram. Um, it's so inspiring. And I love that we're in the same realm. So for everyone who does not know me, my name is Jenny, Jenny Minen. Uh, I currently live in Southern California in Los Angeles, but I am from Germany. And yeah, I made it my life mission to help women and empower women in life, love and self-love and in mindset. And I've been doing this for quite a few years. I started uh, to work completely independently by myself, I think around three, four years at this point. Before that, I was uh, working also in companies and supporting clients with mental health and relationships. And yeah, I'm super passionate about this. I love working with women and one-on-one, -on -one, but I also love a group and masterminds and to create just a very 
loving, supportive climate for women that are looking for like-minded uh, souls to be on this journey. So, yeah. So how did you get into this field? Why did you want to start this process? I mean, helping women around the world. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I wanted to start, I think it started for me as a teenager, um, having parents that were, you know, like separating and having all these challenges that we experience as teenage girls, uh, wanting to understand my mind and emotions better. Because I, I had a hard time, uh, like, understanding what it meant for me and how it will go for me if I just let them run free. And if I just, I love saying having an unsupervised mind. Um, and also I got so much into learning about attachment theory. So one of my uh, thesis um, was very focused on different attachment styles and um, ways how we learn to receive and give love throughout our lives. And I always thought it was fascinating how the brain works, how we are in relationships, how we attach to someone. So that's how I got into it. Let's talk about attachment styles. For somebody who doesn't know anything about attachment styles, what they are and how many do we have? Tell us a little bit about those. Yeah. So um, we have four different attachment styles, depending on how how intense you want to get. But overall, you can group attachment styles in a secure attachment style and in an insecure attachment style. And those insecure attachment styles are an avoidant attachment style an anxious attachment style and an avoided anxious attachment style or also called a disorganized attachment style as well. So it depends on how much we go in depth there, but to make it a little easier, I'm going to just mm -hmm. talk about the ones that are the most common today. Um, but yeah, when we talk about a safe attachment style, you have most likely learned and grew up in an environment where, where love was predictable and um, readily available for you. So you learned when you were starting to explore the world, if we go back to the basics, mm -hmm. okay, if I come back, someone's going to be there to love and take care of me because you're a child, so you're dependent on the care of others. Um, so it's safe for you to explore the world, to be independent, to be, you know, self-actualize yourself and grow up uh, because you know it's reliable it's not depending on if you succeed or not, or what your what your values that you bring to the table, even as a child. So and, that's the secure um, attachment style. That is the secure attachment so, style. So basically, we grow up feeling secure and loved, and that's mm -hmm. how we later on, yeah, attach to people. For so for somebody who maybe I have a lot of international people. So for somebody mm -hmm. who doesn't understand the word attachment styles, it's basically what the way you. Um, actually, why don't you tell us? Yeah. So attachment styles are the way we learn to give and receive love and how we attach to another person in a relationship. So this can, that doesn't only mean romantic relationships, but also in relationship to your friends, mm -hmm. to your friendships, even in your work though, even in the way you approach things. So you have a certain attachment and, um, it translates, and that's why it's so super awesome to work with attachment style. And I do that a lot with clients. Uh, when you when, once you figure out where and how you learned, um, 
And the cool thing is, I'm going to talk about the the more insecure attachment styles in a second, is you can you can transform your attachment style. So mm-hmm. you're never doomed to just have one attachment for the rest of your life if you are putting the conscious work in. However, it takes a lot of self-awareness and work to get to that point. So it, it can also be that you learn to be a very securely attached person and you had a great family and then you you have a first relationship and that person cheats on you five times and betrays you. And all of a sudden your whole view of attachment and love and security is thrown overboard and it takes time for you to rebuild that. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you have one attachment style and then it will prevent you from getting hurt for the rest of your life. If you are secure, Mm -hmm. however, um, if you, it could also be that you have built such a secure attachment that if someone cheats on you, don't internalize it and make it mean something about you, but rather about that person and it bounces mm-hmm. off, if that makes sense. So it can go many ways. And um, the two other attachment styles that are very common are the anxious attachment style, where we are more afraid that we the love that we're giving someone is reciprocated. So what we do is we try to find ways to reassure that we are being loved by someone over and over again, right? Mm-hmm. So that could be by, uh, you see that in dating stages, when you overtext, when you overthink if they like you, if you want to make sure you're on the same boat, if you're like, you know, a little anxious. I would call that needy, I would. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In some ways, just like needing, as you said, needing the reinsure, reassurance that someone is going to be reliable and loving towards you because you don't know if you're, if you're going to be loved. Mm-hmm. Because, and that goes back to like having lower self-worth, right? And thinking like, ooh, like I'm not sure if I'm worthy of love. Um, that's often, by the way, subconscious. I mm-hmm. let's let's stay let's stay here for a second when it comes mm-hmm. to the anxious attachment style, aka needy, like I called it. Mm-hmm. If somebody is aware that they are anxious or they constantly need that reassurance what can they do to get out of their head how can somebody stop being so needy and attached that's a great question by the way um there's a few things first of all when you are dating it is so important and a lot of people that have an anxious attachment i love um putting themselves all in all the world surrounded by that one person, right? They neglect their friendships. They stop being, you know, active within their self, taking care of themselves. And I think the number one important thing is that you don't lose your hobbies, your friends, and your habits, mm-hmm. right? So your whole orbit is not just around your relationship, right? That's just a piece of the cake. So when you have this tendency, I want you to always remember that you can focus on yourself. You can go inside and you still have your world. Okay. And then another thing, another tool that's really helpful is creating more awareness. Okay. Learning how to respond versus how to react. And what I mean by that is when you see yourself getting worked up, or as you said, like over delivering and asking and being pushy in some ways, instead of reacting on that impulse that you have, we got to learn how to just observe again, self-awareness, like, Ooh, Mm -hmm. I see my brain, like he's been, he said he's going to the gym and it's been five hours and like no one goes to the gym that long. I'm going to call him and he didn't answer after three hours. Okay. So like hundred percent, he's seeing someone else, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say your brain is jumping to that conclusion instead of 
just running behind every single impulse that you have, like like an unsupervised puppy, <laughs> notice That's it. A great comparison, <laughs> right? I'm like the mind is like an unsupervised puppy if you don't train it. <laughs> yeah. Um, see that impulse, right? And like be present with me. Like, ooh, interesting. Take some time to just write it out before you just, you know. I love this unsupervised puppy. (laughs) I I don't know why, but I always have dog comparisons because I'm such a big dog lover. And this like unsupervised puppy, I'm actually going to use this whenever I feel like my brain is like scatterbrained. I'm going to be like, yo, puppy, sit down. I love that. Or something. Yes. Lay down. (laughs) Right. But that's a great analogy because it shows how you have to train your mind. Right, dogs can be amazing, amazing, like calm and trained. But you need to train them. If you don't, they're just go crazy, just like mm-hmm. your mind. If you have mm-hmm. it unsupervised, right? That's why the mindset work is so important. So, your advice when somebody is going through, let's say, uh, a needy episode, mm-hmm. they should do what? First of all, focus on yourself. Wake up. See where you've been overextending yourself, overgiving, trying to make it work for other people or that person that you're with and focus on yourself. What are your hobbies? What are the things you enjoy the most? Go out with your girlfriends, like have a good time. Focus on Mm -hmm. yourself, you know, expand your business. So first of all, focus on yourself, right? Get grounded. Um, Second of all, become more self-aware of your patterns and learn how to respond versus to react. And take out your journal or put on the notes on your phone, uh, write it out. Oh my God, I feel like he wants to see someone else because he's been gone for five hours and he didn't answer his phone. I'm overthinking it. Mm-hmm. Write it out. If you see it, it's easier for your brain to find a logical argument against it, right? And then you say, okay, what are arguments that speak against this? Right? I call this cognitive reframing and it's hard. It's like such a tool you have to learn in depth. But this is a good way where you can start on your own, where it's like, okay, I see this. What are arguments against this? Well, we are in a loving relationship and he brought me flowers yesterday and he said, I love you before he left the house and um, we are on good terms. And why would he meet someone if he wants to be with me? So just find reasons to tell your brain, okay, maybe I'm reacting out of past hurt and mm-hmm. it's, you know, like past insecurities or things that I'm assuming that are in the past though, versus in the present moment. Mm-hmm. Okay. You said something really interesting. You maybe got hurt in the past. A lot of people had, I mean, at least the girls were writing to me, they had a lot of bad relationships and guys would treat them like shit and they have issues in a new relationship, maybe their new partner didn't show any reason for them not to trust them, but they are still kind of reliving their past. Mm-hmm. Is there something you th- can say? I mean, I know it's, you know, it takes a lot of, as we said, self-work and self-awareness and all of those things, but what can they do today? So let's say somebody is super insecure about their boyfriend today. Their boyfriend didn't do anything wrong, but they just like, how can they get like snap back? Speak to someone. Just don't go with it and run with it. Snap back, as I said, through like, okay, it might be a mental health professional, right? That's always, Mm -hmm. as you said, great to start the self-work to to talk to someone who can help you to reframe your thoughts. But even Mm -hmm. if it's with a girlfriend, 
right? Be like, oh my God, I'm feeling so anxious right now, girl. Like I just need 10 minutes to rant about this and talk to mm -hmm. you to it. So I find also, someone. Mm -hmm. I just want to say it's very important to talk to a girlfriend that's actually going to give you good advice because I I spoke about this many times on my podcast. I feel like a lot of people have friends who give them bad advice. It's difficult because when I, I had a really bad relationship at some point and my friends were giving me bad advice. So I speak from my own experience. Like they, they would tell me, Oh, it's fine. Like there's worse guys out there. Oh, it's, it's, it's not big. It's not a big deal. Like you're overreacting. They would almost gaslight me <laughs> into, you know, thinking that something is wrong. So that's why I always just like to point that out that, you know, try to talk to somebody whose advice and whose life you like. Yeah. And I think you have a very good point there. Talk to, that's why my first choice would always be learning the tools to actually overall prevent this overthinking and this anxiety in a relationship by having a therapist, by having a coach, by joining a woman's cycle. So like a circle, um, you know, those things help you really to be in an environment that fosters growth. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're absolutely right. You should uh, see who, who your friends are that you ask for advice. Um, another thing that can help too, if you just don't want to involve anybody else is open up a voice memo and rant. Mm -hmm. I do this all the time. I just go like, I'm so freaking mad. This upsets me. Like why the hell is this? Like just let it all out. Because again, like, you know, you have an emotional experience and if you don't move through it and you push it down, it just, ah, oh, it just bruise and resentment, right? I love this. So. I never thought about doing a voice note of me just like ranting. <laughs> yeah, I do it all the time. Yeah, I love that. Okay, I think that, wait, we, we covered anxious attachment style. Mm -hmm. We covered secure, mm -hmm. right? Next is avoidant. Yes. So an avoidant attachment style is often predominantly men, but I do see it in women too. And I used to be more avoidant in my attachment as well when I was younger. Um, an avoidant attachment style is very, you're, you're afraid to let people in. You do the opposite of the ang anxious attachment style. You try to not get too close to someone because you're afraid they'll hurt you. Um, it doesn't really always express in that way. You just sometimes think, Oh, I just don't want to commit or like, you know, I want to be single or, mm -hmm. uh, I like to just do my own thing. I like to be single. Yeah. I like to be in control. Uh, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. But a lot of that is a like, and they're absolutely a legitimate in some cases In some cases, um, deep down want to be with someone, but they're afraid to attach themselves to, to someone that would maybe hurt them. Um, so when we're avoidant, we weren't used to having someone be, be there for us and be available. So instead of, you know, like, um, latching on to whatever they can get, they took a step back and was like, well, my knees are not going to get met anyway. So I'm just going to do my own thing and be hyper independent. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, that's often a very, very normal and avoidant attachment style. So when you have an attachment style that is avoided, it's all about learning how to build trust. It's about taking baby steps that don't overwhelm you when you're committing to someone. Um, it's learning that it's also okay to be vulnerable, right? They often have this huge lack of being vulnerable in relationships in general. Mm -hmm. Is there another one? Is there another attachment yeah. style? So mm -hmm. a, a disorganized attachment style is less likely. Um, it, this is an attachment style that's often when children were abused. 
um, or went through a lot of foster homes or had extremely unpredictable uh, caregivers. So knowing like they, they don't know how to trust someone in terms of they'll just go all in. Like the, the typical person that will just trust someone that has the, the candy on, uh, mm-hmm. on the van, mm-hmm. right? So like disorganized means like, oh, over-trusting, but then pulling back, right? So that, that can happen too. And so there's when, when you have an avoidant, uh, when you, yeah, avoidant anxious attachment style mixed, um, you can have certain signs of disorganized because it's a mixture of both, but the disorganized attachment style is way more extreme, if that makes sense. You said that men mostly have an avoidant attachment style. Mm-hmm. Why is that? I mean, we always hear those stories that, you know, uh, he doesn't want to commit and I really wanted to commit. And I feel like it all comes down to the way we grew up and it's like we are women need to try women need to find their missing piece they need to find their soulmate blah 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 and you never really see a movie where they are telling a guy oh you need to find your soulmate it's like you need to crush it you need to make it you need to you know have a million dollars by tomorrow yeah i think uh, i think men have there's a very good point in what you're saying i think men are tend to be more avoidant in their attachment style too because as you said there's this societally not as primed to be in commitment, right? As you said, like career is more prioritized. There's no time pressure. There is, oh, you want to, you know, have fun and just go with as many women as you can, right? So they kind of take out this like very instinctively hunting role, right? But hunting women in terms of not to hunt Mm -hmm. them down for commitment and create a safe (laughs) environment, but more like, Ooh, like, you know, I don't want to be held down. Exactly. Um, so I, it's interesting though. I'd love to look into a study and what it Mm -hmm. says too, but there's definitely primarily men that have avoided attachment styles. Something I learned recently is the way women have quote unquote biological clock and we are rushing into getting married by the age of 30 or we have these ideas of what our life is supposed to look like by a certain age guys have a career clock or like a success clock Mm. because when they are over the age of 31 to 35 it's like you're not a man if you didn't make it and i just found that very interesting that we both have some kind of imaginary clock that basically society just put onto us what do you think about that you know, I think consciously unearthing and unlearning societal expectations should be one of the number one priorities of things we learn and do in life. Um, there should be a class in school, unlearn society's, uh, I don't know, bullshit rules. <laughs> Absolutely. You're, you're so right. I think, um, and I work on this uh, a lot with clients when we're working on like alignment and being authentically yourself, um, especially women, this is the number one thing we get instilled is being the good girl, right? Uh, so we learn, that's why so many are people pleasers, because we learn, oh, like, if I'm being a good girl, and I listen, and I perform well, and I do a good job, then I get love and attention, uh, or like praise, right? And when we're young, we're, we depend on it. You know, you're not like an independent child, It's Mm -hmm. like, I love myself and I don't, like you're a child, you're dependent on others, literally. Mm -hmm. So you learn um, and and embody that, okay, when I'm good to others and when I take care of others' needs first, 
then I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be safe. And the same is with like, when you want to cry or be upset or all those things. And then they're like, good girls don't do that. They don't cry. Oh, like, you know, chin up, like mm-hmm. keep it together. So there's a lot of this. Oh, okay. So if I swallow down my emotions, you learn subconsciously. And again, like 95% of what you're doing in life is subconsciously, right? Led by what you learned and your subconscious build in your childhood. So you learn, okay, so if I just push this down, it's good because then people will like me. If I do them a favor, even though I'm tired, they will like me, right? And my survival is guaranteed. It's crazy. We actually, we were taught our entire life to be the good girl and to just please everybody else around us. And I don't know why. I really don't understand why women were always taught to be like, oh, so selfless or you need to, you know, care for everyone. Like we're all this, I don't know, like Messiah on on the world. Like we just need to please everybody. Yeah. Um, uh, You mentioned behavior that needs to be unlearned. So if somebody is aware that they have these, I wouldn't, would you call this limiting beliefs or? Limiting beliefs in terms of, if it's a belief that doesn't serve us and like mm-hmm. holds us back. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So there's limiting beliefs. It's funny though. I love being careful with how I phrase them because mm-hmm. I promise you in most cases, people don't know what their limiting beliefs are. So if you okay. just say belief, I, yeah. A hundred percent. You're <sighs> so right. You're so right. Okay. Let's first explain what are limiting beliefs in general. And then if you can give us some examples of limiting beliefs. Yes. So limiting beliefs are beliefs that we put up on us uh, that tell us how we predict the world, right? Um, however, that are limiting to us and impact, impact us and our goals negatively. A good example for a limiting belief would be all men in my city are trash. <laughs> mm. Or uh, there's only, you know, like, commitment phobes living in the city, something like that, right? So Mm -hmm. it's a limiting belief because the problem is we are our own self-fulfilling prophecy. So you want to be right, right? You want to prove, even though you're not aware, you can say, of course, no, I want a relationship. I don't want that to be true. But our consciousness is only, you know, we can only take in so much. There's so much going on. So you're going to go through the world with your beliefs, limiting or not. You're going to just try to predict everything in your environment because that means you're safe, right? As Mm -hmm. long as you can predict what's going on in your environment, great. You're going to be safe. Mm -hmm. That's your survival instinct. So even if it's a bad limiting belief, right, you can go on a date and be like, well, see, that didn't work out. I told you all men are trash, right? (laughs) And then you just go in this perpetual cycle of, you know, like making that your truth. Where at the other point, it's not the truth, right? You know, you see your friends or you see other people and they, they found great men in that city. And mm-hmm. um, it's unrelated to your personal belief. However, you think that's just an absolute truth, although it's just a thought or a limiting belief. <laughs> I get this asked all the time on my Wobokoko dues when girls are like, I'm going on dates, date after date after date, and nothing is really clicking, or I don't like anybody, or as you just said, all men are trash. I'm just attracting these losers or whatever they're saying. If somebody comes to you with that kind of situation, what would you tell them? Who I would really work on unearthing where that belief is coming from. 
and helping. So I love working from an empowered approach. Mm-hmm. I, I know it's a, like a touchy subject when we talk about victim mentality. And I know some people have had some really victim mentalities. Yeah. I can't had, stand some, it. <laughs> had some hard things happening in their life. But the problem is you can't be the creator of your life. If you continuously blame outer circumstances, people and situations for your experience in life. So I will, I love working on helping women understand, okay, like how can this experience that I had be for the better, right? I learned how to raise my standards after this relationship. I potentially, you know, like I'm, I'm better at reading green and red flags. I'm better in understanding and communicating what I need and what my boundaries are in a relationship, right? And how, you know, saying like, oh, all got, as you said, like, the example mm-hmm. of all guys, um, they always ask me to like come over after the third date, or et cetera, et cetera. I was like, do you mm-hmm. do you let them? Like, mm-hmm. how do you communicate with them? How do you, you know, like, or do you demand respect in your communication, or do you just let them push push your boundaries until you're just sick of it over and over again? Yeah, I have to just a hundred percent agree with you here. When women come to me and they're like, oh, this guy keeps on doing this and he keeps on doing this and this. I'm like, but why are you letting him? Why are you still there? Why do you, you're like, this guy only calls me for a booty call. So, but why are you going? Like you are in control of your time and obviously your yeah. body. So you don't have to go see that person who's obviously disrespecting you. Maybe he doesn't even think that he's disrespecting you. Maybe you yeah. never even talked about it. And yeah, I, I feel like a lot of women are not women, men too, but a lot of people are afraid to say what they want because they're afraid they're going to turn off that person or they're going to lose them. But at the same time, if you say what you're feeling or if you express your needs and they run away, they're obviously not meant for you. Yeah, exactly. What do you, what do you think about women who maybe just like are dating around and they can't find anybody they like, what can they do internally to maybe work on themselves? Because I feel like you can always find something interesting about someone. You don't have to necessarily date them and fall madly in love. But I don't know. I always find it interesting that people, the girls are like, I just don't like anyone. Mm-hmm. So there could, this is a really interesting topic and question because it can have multiple, there's a, okay, so let's say this, there's a fine line between self-sabotage and having high standards, Mm, right? I love that. There's a big difference. One is like, okay, I'm going to find something wrong with every person that I meet, right? And not even give them a chance. Or it's, you know, and sometimes we actually say like, hey, this is a deal breaker for me. I'm just standing up for what I want. But if you see, okay, I've, I've gone out with a multitude of humans mm-hmm. and I just keep finding everything, anything wrong with them, um, you know, then, then it's time to turn inward and see like, hey, is there some parts of me that believe love is not safe? Is there parts mm-hmm. of me that believe lo- men will hurt me? And because, again, limiting belief, deep-rooted, often unaware, um, am I maybe sabotaging potential partners because of that? You, you mentioned uh, there's a fine line between self-sabotage and high standards. Mm-hmm. A few questions here when it comes to standards. We were often told, me included throughout my life, that my standards are too high or that I'm asking for too much. Mm-hmm. The common answer to that is you're just 
talking to the wrong, wrong person, there's another person who's going to raise up to your standards. And mm -hmm. I 100% agree. But is there a situation when you should lower your standards? That's a good question. I don't think you should ever lower your standards or compromise your values for a person. Mm -hmm. However, I think it's very beneficial to go on a deep dive of what your standards are and why your standards are what your standards are, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So if you see it's, it's something that you're using, again, to protect yourself and say, oh, no man can ever, you know, reach that standard, um, mm -hmm. then you might just have an unrealistic standard, right? Again, that's what? just... Mm -hmm. Go ahead, go ahead. That's more for, I, I saw someone saying like, oh, before I go on a first date, you're going to have to pay me $50 for gas. Uh, you're going to have to pay for a clothing haul. You're going to have to pay for my, for my toes to get to be done. <laughs> and my hair I was like, and if you don't fit in that narrative, then you're just not for me. Where it's I mean, like, that's, that's the standard, I guess. <laughs> that's the standard, I guess. But hey, if you're out there trying to date someone for, let's say, three years, and that's your requirement, mm -hmm. right? Maybe it's like, oh, okay, like maybe I'm missing out on the person that I could genuinely connect with and be loving and have a good relationship with. Um, but I'm so fixated on something superficial in that moment. Okay, I something came to my mind as you were saying this. It's like when women say, I only date uh, guy blonde guys or mm -hmm. black hair guys, or you are creating this. And I obviously understand we all have a type and we you need to be attracted to your partner. Mm -hmm. But having these, they're not even standards. They're just like, you're just trying to be stubborn about something. I don't know. Like my boyfriend is one year or two two years older than me. And when obviously we're together now for a long time, we love each other very much. But before we started dating, I was like, I'm never going to date a guy who's like close to my age. I need to date somebody who's like, you know, much older. Mm -hmm. that, that was my, that was mine. Like, you know, I'm not going to take, you know, I, nobody that's my age is going to be interesting. And obviously yeah. he was very interesting and he continues to be very interesting. So that was just an, an imaginary thing that I had in my mind. I think, you know, the, the number one most important thing is, or advice that I have for ladies, you know, like looking to find love and connecting with their soulmate potentially is really focusing on how they make you feel. And if their actions match their words versus anything else. How do they make they feel like when you do this list of who you want to be with and who is your future partner versus he has to have blonde hair, he has to be six, five, he has to be this and this and this. How about you focus on how they make you feel and how you feel about them? You could, you can totally put down like, I'm deeply attracted to them. Mm -hmm. That's, but not, as you said, you know, like being very specific might be in your way with those things. Uh, but like, Yeah, I'm very attracted to them. They treat me with love and respect. We connect on a level so deeply how I've never connected with someone else. And they make me feel loved, heard, and seen, right? And they always follow through with what they promise. So like those things are so much more important, I believe, than they have to be 6'6", six, six, blonde hair, mm. and you know, all of that. <laughs> um, of course, it's a bonus when it comes to yeah, top. Yeah. You know what else I think? It's like we all have these lists, but... You need to think about where did these lists got you this far? Like you were dating your type. 
over and over again, I guess. And obviously, if if you're currently dating and trying to find a new partner, you're obviously not really satisfied with your list. So maybe try to adjust your list a little bit. Something is obviously not working. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about rejection. And when we maybe we start dating somebody and then they ghost us or they are just not. And you know that you don't really care about that person as much, but rejection still hurts a mm -hmm. lot. What is it though? Is it our ego? Is it, what is it? Oh, that's such a great topic. There's so much to that though. Um, so it, it always goes back to the feeling of being afraid to be abandoned, mm -hmm. right? In a way when someone rejects us, they abandon us right? And it can trigger abandonment wounds. And especially if we haven't worked through those abandonment wounds, we take them personal. We tie our self-worth to how someone treated us, right? Mm -hmm. in, the, in a dating scenario. And we lose sight of the fact that everyone has their individual personality and agenda, and it's often unrelated to you as a person. Um, and my number one tip for everybody to learn how to handle with rejection, uh, to handle rejection, is learning how to sit with uncomfortable emotions. It's Tell tricky. It's it's a skill we got to learn. Uh, we, we're, again, we're so taught that we have to avoid negative emotions, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, if you feel bad, just go out or do this or have a glass of wine or, you know, you get all these coping mechanisms, often unhealthy coping mechanisms to do when something an uncomfortable emotion comes up. But the more you learn to sit with it, let's say you feel rejected and instead of, I have to go out and like prove my worth by guys hitting on me and, or mm -hmm. like going, you know, like all of that where it's like, oh, can I see this feeling coming up right now? And just be present with it and see that it's an emotion, energy emotion that dissolves in my body if I'm just present with them and I breathe through it and I work through it cognitively afterwards. Don't try to intellectualize everything in the very moment it comes up for you. Okay, so let's say we have a situation like that and we realize that we're just sitting with the feeling, but the feeling sucks, like the feeling hurts. Mm -hmm. And we don't see a solution at that very moment, then what? Then in that very moment, and we, we don't see a solution, we just sit with it. We just mm -hmm. accept the fact that we're human beings and we're meant to experience a wide range of emotions and experiences, not only the positive, and reminding yourself there's yin and yang. There's no good without bad. Is there any emotion that you've had that you haven't got over? I got over everything. <laughs> we, got over, we get over everything, even if it doesn't feel like that in the moment. So reminding yourself in that moment, like as cheesy as it sounds, the classic, this too shall pass, it will pass. It yeah. will remind yourself that it's okay that you're human you're not after it's supposed to be perfect all the time or happy like you get to just be a sad bitch for a day <laughs> it's okay or a week or however you need but like you get to go through those phases in order to rebirth yourself over and over again and step into that more empowered and beautiful strong version of yourself that's part of the process you won't only have you know butterflies and sunshine you need rain right in order to grow like the flower needs rain and sunshine I love that. What is self-love to you? Self-love to me is having a deep understanding of ourselves, being kind to ourselves, putting ourselves before others, and learning that self-love is not only the good parts, right? The, the taking a bubble bath and doing self-care and, you know, standing up for yourself, uh, you know, like being present with yourself, but also 
doing the hard work. Self-love mm-hmm. entails like learning how to reframe your thoughts, feeling uncomfortable emotions, uh, setting boundaries when it's needed, right? All when we feel anxious, right? To set a boundary, for example. So self-love for me is like doing the fun and the not so fun work for yourself. If somebody is really crushed right now, they're going through a horrible phase, maybe they, it's about their career, maybe it's about their relationship, their family, they just feel like they're rock bottom. How do they even start on that self-love journey because they don't even see the light at all? What would yeah. be your first step? My first step would be to find a support system. It's so hard sometimes to pull ourselves out of a dark place and that's okay we're humans right so having it doesn't matter if you have the funds to have a therapist right or a coach um or if you just join a free facebook group of ladies going through a hard time or you know like there's so many free resources as well that can support you so really bestie community we have a group and girls talk to each other all the time Great. There you go. So joining the resources, <laughs> joining that community. Yeah, I have that too. We have, I have a program called the inner goddess collective and it's beautiful. There's women that are, you know, like healing on their journey. Mm-hmm. And, um, so having support, having a support system that is there for you is super important. And then the second thing is learning to do small steps. You're not supposed to you know, like life, you get better in life 1% every single day, you'll be so much further than if you're just waiting for that 100% all one day to just show up, right? So if you're pulling yourself out, out of the dark place, and you're building yourself up, okay, what is something small I can do today that's going to bring me towards the vision version I am trying to become? Right? That can just be if, even if you just do a 20 minute workout, or being outside, or eating a healthy meal, or, you know, holding yourself accountable to going to a hobby or a class, right? Get things going that are beneficial to creating the future version of yourself, right? Keep that always in mind, even if it's small steps. Speaking of workouts and healthy meals, why do we sometimes decide not to do the healthy option? So for example, yesterday, I was really busy at work, busy, quote unquote busy, because you can always find time to take care of yourself. I didn't do my morning workout. I I just, I feel like it because I didn't do it, it set the tone for my day that I'm not taking care of myself. And the entire day I was in the worst possible mood. I, I also, my hormones are going all over the place because of my surgery and I'm changing birth control. But I was like, I was, I, I, I cried for absolutely no reason. And I think, honestly, if I just went into the gym in the morning, maybe it wouldn't solve all of my problems, but so many times, like we know that this is going to put us in a great mood. I know that if I go work out in the morning, whether it's just 20 minutes or if I journal or meditate, it's kind of like my checklist for the day that I did Mm -hmm. something for myself. But then sometimes I still consciously decide not to do it because I'm busy, but you are actually never so busy for... I mean, to take care of yourself. Yeah. It's interesting, right? Because oh, this could be a whole nother episode where we talk about hormonal <laughs> Maybe we're going to have another I one. I know. <laughs> we're going to talk about hormonal health and us being yeah. cyclic beings. So I think 
it's important to hold ourselves accountable, as you said, to certain things that we know that make us feel better. However, um, we also have to be considerate about the fact that women are cyclic beings. We don't wake up with the same energy every single day. We don't have testosterone levels that are just wake up the same, wake up the same, mm -hmm. right? We have cycles and phases. So there's going to be times where you have more energy and feel more called to do things and be confident and, you know, do all those things. And then especially closer to menstruation, right? Especially the week before, Jesus. <laughs> and the As week after coaster. and the week during. It's basically, <laughs> we have one week when we're sane. Exactly. Around ovulation. Um, so, so yeah. So, you know, it really helps you to be gentle to yourself too, though, when you're just seeing, okay, my body, what is it that my body needs today? Rest, right? What would benefit me the most? So in your case, though, it seems like, okay, compromise could be, I'm not feeling like doing an entire workout. How can I just, maybe I'll just do a little Pilates class, right? Or mm -hmm. something small to move my body and get the energy flowing and going. Um, but also like finding that grace within, I think is super important. Sometimes I have that too. Like when I, uh, like I, I love eating healthy and nourishing my body and, you know, being in a good place. Once I like really had that concept down, it, it's easy. But then I have days where I'm like, oh, like today, I don't want to work out. I don't mm -hmm. want to eat, you know, some chocolate on the couch. And I used to beat myself up because I would be in this perfectionist mode and be like, I no, I can't do that. And I have to look good. I have to do this and this and this, where um, I started to give myself grace when I saw my body needed it. However, mm -hmm. as you see, it's super important that we don't beat ourselves up and have regret mm -hmm. about what we did, but say like, I am worthy of rest. I'm worthy of listening to my body and what's best for me in this very moment. I absolutely agree with all of that. Question for those who are just constantly deciding to not eat healthy or go out and party. Like I remember when I was going through my phases, I was eating horribly. I was going out and partying all the time and I was drinking a lot and it was just like, I was trying to escape whatever problems I had at the time. Mm -hmm. But And thank God that I'm very self-aware and I got out of it very fast and I had a therapist. But how, do, how does somebody, if they see that they're self-sabotaging, because I, I feel like that kind of behavior is self-sabotage. If you are consciously doing things yeah. that are making you feel worse and worse. I mean, I even have an example. My brother, he was, he used to be a professional gymnast and he is very athletic and he just stopped going to the gym. At one like during the pandemic i think that mm -hmm. he stopped going to the gym and we both had like conversations about like we're, because we we're both like you know on the same we're yeah. both like athletic and we like to work out and we were talking like i don't understand why both of us mm -hmm. why are we just not going to the gym like why i you just don't understand why and yesterday i was speaking to him and he was like i will never stop working out like ever again Because now he's like back in his routine. He looks mm -hmm. fantastic. And lucky for guys, their body snaps back in three seconds. <laughs> so he's like b buff. But <laughs> what would you say to that girl who's listening right now who knows that she is choosing not to help herself? Choose yourself, right? Keep the eyes on the prize. Create a plan. And because plans to create a new habit can be incredibly helpful in the beginning um, to remember why you're doing this, right? I, you want to, and you want to be healthy. You want to nourish yourself. You want to live a long life. You don't want to have to take medication. Reminding yourself 
how important it is to be in tune with your body and nourishing yourself, I think is very, very helpful, right? And then also, as you said, if it's someone who really continuously eats bad and just not is in, in the place of nourishing themselves or taking care of themselves, is seeing like, am I trying to cope here through having unhealthy food? Like, is it comfort food? Is it making me feel better or worse? And, you know, like, how can I find a replacement behavior for when I'm trying to do unhealthy habits, if that makes sense? Right? Like, finding replacement behaviors is so important. So you don't just feel like, okay, I'm just not doing it, but you're, mm -hmm. you're, you're still doing it, right? Just finding a different replacement for it. I heard this story about, there's this guy whose podcast I really like, his name is Stephen Barlett, and he was talking about his dad who was addicted to cigarettes for, I don't know how many years, let's say 20 years. Mm -hmm. And he, but he was only smoking inside of his car. That was like his little routine. He would go into <laughs> his car and he would have, I think it was like a glove box and he would keep his cigarettes in the glove box. And it was just like muscle memory. He would sit in the car, he would open his glove box and, and light up <laughs> a cigarette. And that, that was just his vibe. And then one day he read a book that Stephen accidentally left at his place. I mean, it's, it's, it's a long story, but I'm going to try to sum it, up, sum it up. He decided he's going to stop smoking. But as you just said, he needed some kind of replacement behavior. So he uh, stuffed that glove box with lollipops. So every time he would sit in the car, <laughs> he would take a lollipop instead. And it worked. And he stopped smoking. I love and that. I, That's a great and story. I just, I just found it so fascinating because it, it does, because sometimes most smokers, they just like that actual, uh, how do you call this? Um, the motion of smoking, like taking a puff and cigarettes left and right. I used to smoke when I was in, in college. I thought I was cool, mm -hmm. but it, it just literally replaced that behavior. And you're still getting that, you know, the, the muscle memory you're getting inside, you're taking something and you're putting it in your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think, I think that's, that's a great example. It is so important to find when you start a new habit to find replacement behaviors. Um, as you said, with, with diet too, okay, instead of, you know, eating a pack of chocolate when I'm feeling uncomfortable or the discomfort, I have to eat a healthy meal first. And then if I still feel like it, I can still eat some chocolate, right? Like mm -hmm. step by step, you can still eat chocolate. I don't, Obviously, there's yeah, nothing, you know, exactly. <laughs> there's nothing I don't allow myself to eat. Um, but it, it's about, okay, how about something healthy first? And then you can still have some chocolate, right? So just building that up or like one of the things that was such a game changer for me that I started a couple of years ago, instead of scrolling in the morning, um, I like my plane stays in airplane mode. My phone stays in airplane mode for the first time of the day. Um, and, but I replace it with reading. So in the mm -hmm. mornings, non-negotiable for me is first thing, instead of scrolling, I'm just reading a book, which is great. It has been so amazing. So just mm -hmm. finding like healthier replacement behaviors is such a key when you're trying to become a better version of yourself. I love this. Jenny, can you please tell everybody where they can find your content? I love your Instagram. I love watching your videos. And it's a lot of self-love and just like stepping into that feminine energy, which we can definitely have like another hour conversation about that. But please, I would love everybody to follow you. Absolutely. I love having ladies on my page. My Instagram is at Jenny Minan. So J-E-N-N-Y. 
M-E-I-N-E-N. Um, yeah, I love connecting with you guys there and always welcome to have a bigger tribe. And as Coco just said, I have a lot of content around self-love, relationships, mindset work. So a lot of things that we touched today too. And yeah, I can't wait to connect with all of you. Amazing. Well, thank you, Jenny, for being here. And thank you, everybody, for listening to Bougie Best Podcast. I'll see you next week.